Hi, you're listening and watching Launch Left. I am your host, Rain Phoenix. Today's very special guest is John Vanderslice launching Space Moth. Don't forget, rate and subscribe. Follow us on all socials at Launch Left. Crystals 3.0, how are you? What the fuck? I am doing good. Yeah, it's some, it's some fucked up music, right? I love it. I've been listening to it on repeat. I will highly recommend it. I love it, and I, I feel so honored to be talking with you. I get like ho- I got hooked on like I have it going in my head, which I know, which I know love is it. like maybe that, maybe maybe this isn't the record you thought that would happen with, but uh, yeah. it's very catchy to me. Yeah. You as an artist are so powerful, is what I mean. I can just feel that you follow your creative truth. Everyone has it. We're all here for a reason. We yeah. fi- we can find it. We can not find it. We can dedicate our lives to it. We can not. It, it seems to me that you have and that you follow your passion to do art. Is that a fair assessment? It feels it feels fair. And I and I and, and it feels like, a, a you know, it's feel you feel guilt. I immediately feel guilty for admitting that. But I but I think that the the road to getting to a place where I was even comfortable, you know, it's hard as hell to look yourself in, in the in in the mirror much less like actually release a record that you you know feel comfortable about existing in the world and it took me decades to figure out how to get beyond that kind of like self-recrimination um and something happened to me where uh i realized that like if i if i accelerate my release schedule it actually becomes blurry where each individual record doesn't hold this there's something that happens with everyone that puts out records it's never enough whatever happens upon release and i'm sure you have that like whatever we do the feeling never meets up with like your expectations so to balance that out an artist told me just like just keep putting out records so i started this schedule where basically i got off my label i got off label and i started releasing records about twice a year and when you do that, you simply, you just can't keep track of your own reactions, responses. Your ego becomes drained out because you're simply so busy, like engaging with actual like creative process as opposed to the, the back end, which is very toxic for us. How are people receiving it? And, you know, in music, once I, I think you disconnect it from a touring cycle, that really helps. You know, I don't feel like there's any like boundaries between records. Like I just put out records and then maybe I go on tour for a little bit and then come back and make another record. Um, so I think that through hard work of like, of like overdosing myself on music that I don't care as much, you know, <laughs> like as far as like judging myself, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Holding yourself against some sort of external validation mirror, which is really yeah. what I think that kind of beating yourself up thing is. So it yeah. seems like you've found a combination of things that has really led you to, a deeper sense of peace as an artist, maybe. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. hearing. 100%. 100%. Definitely. And, and also, <laughs> I think that it's it's like really helped me to, you know, for a long time, I was putting out records in like a, a lane. You know, I believed that I was like, you know, I am uh, like a, an, an indie artist that's interested in like kind of like art pop records and, and prog and like kind of like psychedelic you know, songwriting. And so I, I really saw myself as operating in this lane that was like influenced by, you know, 
destroyer, the mountain goats, David Bowie, like, you know, the kinks, like this certain kind of like identity. And I, that stuff just kind of just fell, fell, fell apart for me where I, I began to be like really bored with my own desire to write a song that had a coherent narrative and co coherent lyrics, you know, something about that felt like very normy to me. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't with a straight face, sit down with an acoustic guitar or a piano and actually write a song and, and think like, Oh, here's the bridge. And, and this song is in this key. And you know what I mean? Like the narrator believes this. I just, all that stuff became, not necessary for me personally. Like I certainly listened to tons and tons of like right. music that would adhere to those rules. But, um, and when that happened, I maybe was a little bit more free and how I felt about like what could actually be put on a record. And then I started thinking, why does it have to be a record? Why can't it be like crystals? Why can't it be like 14 songs in 19 minutes? Like, why does, why do we have to have these like three minute, four minute, like, why does it, why do we have to just like keep, and it's hard to get out of these little lanes, you know, but I don't know. And it took me a long time. It took me a long time to edit the record. You know, I mean, the record was probably recorded over a year and it took me about six months to just be able to like even have song titles where I could be like, OK, this should follow this. This is the point of this. And, you know, it's not like a as you mentioned before, it's not like a it's not like an experimental slog. It's a pop record. Like somehow this is like a joyous, fun, you know, even if there's like unruly sounds and fucked up distortion, it is a total pop record, you know, like it's just blown up and it's fragmented like an acid trip. You know, it is acid influenced, you know, I just, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, just, like messing with things like everything that is supposed to be a certain way yeah, why not yeah. do it the other like why not yeah. flip it on the head like yeah. okay those are hard one things people like you were talking about accords yeah. of a thing and the bridge comes here yeah. and all, you know yeah. and the key of this at the same time i'm a total sucker for that and like you said i listen yeah. to all those records and love them so i'm not dissing on it but i'm a real i love experimental music for example i love yeah. I love non-vocal experimental music. Yeah. Noise. I love noise music. Yeah. Those kinds of things. And and so this this record really turned me on in that regard as well. And that you like chose to have to the, that each song had was so short. Was like, what? Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I really thought that was great in this current to ADD age that we're in. I'm yeah. like, good for you. Like that's yeah. a pop yep. song. Not yep. even three minutes anymore. Yeah. You can't even yeah. one minute. <laughs> exactly. I thought it was so great. And it's like you flip things on the head, but it was so refreshing. That's why yeah. I like that. Is it to me, yeah. I'm like, thank you. Open my eyes to something new. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love the other stuff, but I always want to be surprised. That's what it is, yep. you know? And so, um, you know, I know you talked about psychedelics. Was there anything else in particular that really inspired you for this record or really brought you, um, or was, you know, is it the, I know it took a decade since your last release, you know, but yeah, um, things stands I think, out. I think that like a couple things that were really important you know you always need like an artist for like you need like a guiding that guiding spirit right so for me there was this there's this la kind of experimental artist i don't know if you've ever heard of this guy his name is slauson malone and he's he's just made two records mm -hmm. and they're they're very fragmentary 
the, you know, it's like Crystal's vibe where it's like they're short. The songs just kind of weave in and out. Sometimes nothing happens. And sometimes it's a coherent song that's like really beautiful. And that record, especially his first one, was like a really that was a really big deal for me because it like somehow it did this trick where if you were to each listen to each of those snippets, it's like almost like it's the the record gained momentum by being really well edited and kind of interwoven. Somehow it like everything gained a little bit more meaning, you know, hmm. and that was a big deal. And then there's this uh, kind of musician producer uh, named Arca who made a, a a continuous record that's I think it's about maybe 60 minutes and it's just one track and it's called uh, it's the at sign like on a keyboard it's at 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 it's five ats and that record came out like three years ago I think and that was probably the biggest record for me in the maybe three or four years like that that was probably the thing that changed me the most because it's music that should not work really at all it's really just like almost like pastiche it's like a hundred pastiche noisy fucked up sampley moments that have cohered into especially the first like 33 minutes of that record is like it's the most perfect risky music i've ever heard in my life so those two records the arca record and the awesome one record i was like oh this is a good like you can do this like to me it was just it's refreshing to be like oh you can just put a song on spotify that's 60 minutes long like do you know what i mean it's like ridiculous you know like and it's so beautiful and when i saw that i was like i'm all in on this like this is courageous you know yeah that's so lovely to hear uh the inspiration coming from other artists which i think is inevitable and true uh we yeah. all that we get you know we garner our own inspiration from others so often and um I'm now I'm so curious of your influence. I guess you basically shared for this particular record. Um, but, uh, you know, I actually am going to turn now to, th I'm thinking about tiny telephone. That's the name of your studio in, yeah. in San yeah. Francisco. Is that still open? And, and, and so I used to own uh, two studios, one in San Francisco and one in Oakland and COVID knocked out the one in San Francisco. I mean, also the rent situation knocked us out. We were, yeah, we were paying $7,000 a month at the end. And I mean, that would, that would probably be nine now. It's like un just untenable for a studio, but the one in Oakland is going, thank God. And that's how I really live the, through the studio. I live in Los Angeles. My friends run the studio in Oakland and I really live off that studio plus that in touring. And, um, so the studio, thank God, still exists because otherwise I'd probably have to have a job and like actually be in the workforce, which would be a nightmare, a complete nightmare. Um, and and like it gives me a lot of, you know, some freedom, you know, like like it's my life is definitely like uh, financially tricky often, you know, but like and my girlfriend and me, we're just like top level scammers. I mean, we just whatever it is we're on it food stamps medical like whatever it takes stealing from whole foods like whatever it takes to get by we're not gonna we're not gonna work you know what i mean like we're just not gonna do it mm -hmm. um i mean i'll work at music but that's a very low profit margin vibe you know it, it really is I, I hear you i uh are you would you consider yourself a gear a gear slut 
Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely like addicted to, especially to electronic um, instruments. Like, I definitely have like a lot of. I mean, I'll show you. This is the studio, but you know, I'm definitely um, a pretty obsessed with keyboard Ooh. and modular synths, and it is you know taken up a huge percentage of energy and money from from me for forever you know i've been collecting since since i was 15 you know so oh, and shit. It, and these tools like are they're inspiring they're confounding they're they're uh they're you know they're temperamental um and they have you know the best designed gear actually kind of like is a co-writer for you you know there's like plenty of instruments that i have that like are really responsible for the music i mean there's a lot of there's these weirdo electron drum machine synthesizers that came out in the early 2000s and they're really the sound of crystal 3.0 or these two weird swedish drum modules that came out that you can't buy anymore that are just like filled with other people's saved drum patterns that i would just like listen to and modify or not and so it's this like beautiful hand-me-down you know, like you're just like finding these like gems, you know, these crystals, you know, that's really where the name came from, you know, was like finding these like these beautiful things that may or may not have properties and they may or may not have the properties that you think they do, but they take on iconic, you know, meanings to you, you know. If you couldn't uh, for some unfair reason make music do you think that you would just like collect and engineer or did you like the studio a lot is that something you think you would um or are would you say that you know i know that's sort of a hypothetical we can skip that no question. i i, I, I don't get, know i think about that all the time because i think about like like one day i'm might not want to make music you know what i mean like so what is like what do what do i what do i pivot to and like it's funny because we my girlfriend we have a garden in the backyard like i think about like and i definitely am a real kind of collector obsessive you know i like to have things around me you know i like to have these iconically visual visually beautiful things and like i think about where would i put my attention to what would i obsess about my next door neighbor in la is obsessed with cars and you know he is like a driveway filled with cars i'm not really drawn to cars because i think that they're really the really the reason why we're going to be snuffed out and we're snuffing out the rest of living beings is like the combustible engine so i think that cars are inherently evil but like but like i understand this like desire to collect to modify and to cut, you know, to hold and to covet things, you know, but I, I honestly think that I would, if I like didn't do music, that I would become obsessed with gardening. Like, I, I think that like gardening gives me the most pleasure just from an outward, you know, like watching our, we have a small garden, it's very functional. You know, we eat off our garden almost every, if we eat at home where we have stuff from our garden and so nice. Hmm. So, you know, I think about landscaping, gardening, stuff like that. Like, that's probably what I would, like, obsess about. That's so nice, and that's such a creative outlet as well. Yeah. Oh, You know, it's a kind it's of art form. Yeah. Just exactly. like what you were saying before. That is, yeah. to be a gardener, to grow your own food is, like, it is high art, you know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Do, would you have sold all your gear or would you still be collecting while being a gardener? <laughs> God, I, I think if I got out of music, I would sell my gear because it's worth so much money. Yeah, you know, like I would. I'm always worried about like missing the peak because I don't this stuff can't last forever, you know, like. Right. So I would sell. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm because I'm always sell. that's how I survive. Also, it's not, when I closed the San Francisco studios, I closed them three years ago. And I still sell the gear from those studios. You know, I still have it in storage mm. and I just ha have listings for parts for, you know, I sell knobs of like an, you know, like a preamp on my store on eBay and Reverb. It's like, it's how I survive, really. Hmm. I'm going to ask a really stupid question because I remember visiting REM in San Francisco when they were doing Up. Do you know if they yeah. did? Did they do up at your studio? No, that's not a stupid question. I know that what they did that record at Toast, which are friends of okay, mine. That's friends right. of mine. They moved to, okay. to uh, England, but like I, I've been to that studio a hundred times, and I remembered when they recorded in San Francisco. That was like a big deal in this recording studio community. I mean, Toast was a much nicer studio than what we had. You know, like they they were in that was a classic Bill Putnam room. Like that was. You know, that was a fancier place than what we had, for sure. You seem to be um, someone who's comfortable with unattachment or something. Yeah. Am, is yeah. that a good way yes. to say it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm 100% comfortable with that. I mean, I'm, I think that I'm really... Non-attachment, you're right. That's the right word, right? Yes. Non-attachment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I'm really comfortable with like being like not attached to like physical things but i think with people that it's really difficult for me like i think that because of like trauma and stuff that like friends my girlfriend i would just simply not make it without them you know what i mean i don't i don't think i could like really push push ahead <laughs> but with as far as gear and and like physical objects and like where i live what I'm doing, I think all of those are the almost like theater. You know, it's like we could be in a different play and on a different stage with a different backdrop and we're totally okay. And maybe losing stuff is really good for you, you know. And also learning to lose stuff, which is hard, is also really good for you. I know it's so hard. Yeah. It's the worst. I don't know anyone, trauma or no trauma. Who's stoked on losing the people in their life? Oh yeah, it'll it'll fuck <laughs> it's, you up, man. It's just not a boy. It's really no bueno. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. It is the worst possible thing. Yeah, I mean, we're all scared of death, but really, we're scared of death happening to the people around us. Because once we're yes. dead, we won't even know what that feel. You know, yeah. we're dead. It's not dead. Yep. It's the fear of losing others that, that we're scared of. We think it's our own because we're so damn self-involved. But yep. in reality, yep. maybe that's a byproduct of being so scared to love deeply because we'll lose the people we love. I don't know. Oh yeah. You know the. You know, and and the, and I do believe that the creative spirit in all of us, and the artist in all of us, is always in in a conversation with that that unspoken part of our psyche, and that death, rebirth, and uh, loss, and grief, and all of those things we don't really articulate or want to even think about, yep. even if it's just beamed to us, you know, somehow uh, in the collective unconscious, I think artists tend to translate some of that pain into beauty. 
Yes. And that that's really the only way that we can live through it. I know you said you couldn't and you won't survive, but, you know, it's wild what people survive, their situations yeah. Yeah. that they survive from. And often yep. there's a creative element that helped that they did something that that yeah. they could transform that grief into something, even if it was just for themselves. It's not that yep. it has to be a commodity, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there people that really, uh, you talked about your friends and your girlfriend, are they your main inspirations for your creativity or does it kind of, is it an inborn thing? And then I have, it's a two part question. And then the yeah. other part is how did music originally find you? So maybe you could, start, maybe I'm going, I like to go backwards. I'm left-handed. You'll have to pardon yeah, me. Yeah, this is great. This is great. <laughs> I, I think that like, um, I think that the, like the urge to be like, uh, to express myself like melodically through musical notes has been with me forever because I took, I first started taking piano lessons when I was like six years old, seven years old. And then I got a guitar when I was like 11. And I think from that, I think that I just, there haven't, there just hasn't been many days when I haven't been making music on in whatever way, whether it's like casually or like intentionally recording mostly honestly since i was like 18 i've been recording a lot you know like almost every day in some capacity i've been recording and it's just like a in some ways it's like a beautiful way to to you know categorize and to to like to remember all of these ideas and these experiences. And then on another part, I just like buildings. You know, I've always liked multi-track recording and actually like building um, ideas up through like multi-track recording because the thing that I discovered when I was 15 is that when you're recording and you record one part on top of the other and then the third part on top, there's some exponential discovery that happens that is the most exciting thing i've ever heard how these parts it's almost like a symphonic like polyphony thing when these parts like interlace with each other something so magic happens and i think that when you when something magic happens that you can't even like really plan for you know it's something that's it's like spiritual you know what i mean it's not this isn't it's not something that's like mathematically like 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 maybe even in the cards, like it's just something added in the air. And that shit is really has driven my whole life. And so that's, you know, that's what I do every day. That's what I did. You know, yesterday I have a once a week electronic project on Thursday. You know, we have eight hours of recording. And then almost every other day I'm in the studio, which is where I am now. Sometimes I'm here for 10 minutes. You know, sometimes I'm just like, not today. You know what I mean? And, and, and other times I'm, it's clicking and I've stopped. I used to be really mean to myself in recordings, you know, like I think most musicians are like actually very cruel, you know, and like I think most musicians have a very toxic relationship with themselves, with creativity. And I used to do that forever. And then through that like thing of like making a lot of music, I just don't have any pressure to to do anything anymore and maybe it's part of it is just that as you get older you st you just like realize it's all like you know you're in a vast like simulation or it's a game and like you've completely 
created these like false, like really painful um, barriers to just being alive and being joyful. You know what I mean? Like people make it hard on themselves. You know what I mean? And like, so I just don't really have that anymore. And often being in here, I don't know. A lot of times I record, I don't even release it. And I don't, I don't think it's good or bad that I don't release it. And I don't even think what I'm doing is good or bad. I just think it's like a little puzzle that I'm doing. I might as well have like a train set in a garage and I'm just running some dumb train around, you know? And as long as I stick to my schedule of two records a year, I don't really care. You know what I mean? And the, you know, two records come out, people can like them or not like them. It doesn't, it honestly does not matter to me. It just really doesn't because I'm doing the best version of what I hear in my head. That's all I can do. You know, so wonderful. I rejoice in, in that, in that, in that switch for you. Yeah. And I know how, I know what you mean. The, 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 The beating yourself up thing is is just that's oh, oh how's that working out is what I always ask myself when I like no. start going down that road. I'm like, has that helped your work yeah. increase the creativity? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's like yeah. being stalked by yourself. It's horrible. It's just like it's the end of all love, softness, creativity, riskiness. It's the end of everything. We've all been there. Yeah. David Lynch said, negativity is the enemy of creativity. And I freaking love 100%. that quote. And 100%. it's true. It's like there's, it di- like for me, I could be really inspired, but as soon as I get negative in any capacity, whether it's like, you know, oh, I don't have time to do this or, oh, I don't like this track. So I'm not, whatever it is, there's just, or, you know, the soup I made sucks. It's too salty. Yeah. And then I go try to sing or go do anything. It doesn't happen. It's just, yeah. it killed it. Is yeah. any negativity? I was just talking with uh, Alex Ebert and um, Sam I and a few other amazing artists um, about that, about joy, mm-hmm. and and the need to make more joy in the world. It's just such an important thing uh, as artists that we're we're focused on that, not on beating ourselves and each other up or competing or, but mm-hmm. how do we lift up the joy quotient? How do we like bring that up? The energy of joy is so needed right now. And I think a lot of that is just living like you you are true to your art, whatever that means, whenever you feel it means that, like there's not, you know, I, there is something to be said for the fact that you obviously had an affinity for gear and studio and are super bright in that area. So you have, like you said, something to fall back on that's paying the bills, you know. It comes from a place of privilege to assume that, you know, you can just live to your full intention to some extent without paying the bills, right? So, of course, there's always got to be some day job usually attached if you're not, like, going for that, I'm going to chart and be a Grammy-nominated artist. Yeah. I don't think, like, if you focus on that, you get there anyway. Yeah. You you focus on truth, you might get there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this has been so fun, and I could keep talking to you all day, but we have a space moth in the waiting room. Yeah, we do. Hell yeah. Love it. I am so stoked to now know who space moth is because of you, John Vanderslice. Yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome. I love this so much. Best backgrounds ever, you two. I've been meaning to talk about your uh, wallpaper, John, and Mm -hmm. now... And now Space Moth joining us. Uh, do you go by Maryam? Miriam. Yeah. Okay. Miriam. Okay. 
It's really nice to meet you. you Thanks too. for being on Launch Left. Uh, your music rocks. I was telling John, I was like, thank you so much for introducing me to a new Aww. artist that I think is badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I owe John so much for my music career because he oh. he helped me so much with becoming an engineer and a producer and inspired so much of my own music. So oh. this is so fun. <laughs> Can we pause? Can we pause to cry? Yeah, let's cry. Oh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> well, that's that's what we're here to do. You know, we're here to like I think it's 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 really People, man, there's a lot of, and MQ will attest to this. There's a lot of weird ego stuff in music, like especially men that are tripping, man. They are just tripping out. And it's just like, this is a collaborative medium. You know, we're here to collaborate, to inspire, to like be mentored, to mentor, to be stoked, to be challenged. And like, there's nothing better than when you have a creative dialogue with someone. It's so fun. It's so exciting. And that's, that's how we stay creatively inspired is by having like people that are inspiring to us and vice versa. And it's a whole complicated ecosystem, you know? Yeah, I agree. I feel like, um, I mean, that's, I, I saw that window. I mean, working at tiny telephone at the first time for the first time as an artist and like, I had worked at other studios before and I, it felt a little bit weird. It felt a little bit like the engineer that I was working with sometimes was like trying to dominate the process a lot. And I, what I loved so much about working at Tiny Telephone, working with JV and the engineers who worked there was just like, wow, this is such a collaborative process. And there's so, there's so much excitement in like the gear that's used and uh, interacting with like weird instruments. Like I remember... <laughs> I have like this one memory that I'll never forget. And it was like one of my first recording sessions at Tiny Telephone with JV. And uh, one of the pieces of outboard gear was acting up and it was the Eventide H949. And uh, and he had to hit it with a hammer <laughs> to make it work. <laughs> and then it did the coolest thing ever. And we ended up recording it in the song. And it was like one of the coolest parts of the record. Uh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's real shit. Like you're hearing a glitch in real time and then you're like inspired by it yeah it changes your life you're like oh you can accept like this and it's also wild because it's like that's a digital piece of gear that also has analog front and back end so you're in between you're navigating every world you know what i mean like yeah you're mixing but you're also doing something in real time and you're in the space digital space realm but you're also like actually mixing on a linear format it's just like crossed all the box it checked all the boxes yeah and you're hitting things with hammers i mean yep i'd love that that was that was the uh that was the fix it like oh gears busted (laughs) break out the hammer (laughs) (laughs) so is that all you how you met yeah um it was all a, a friend had mentioned john and tiny telephone to me when i was kind of in uh my early stages of making music and recording. And um, they were like, I think you would love working at the studio. I think you'd love working with John. So I'd reached out to him. And I remember just like, my first um, uh, tour of the studio, I was like, yes, this is it. This is the place. And 
now I'm there all the time because <laughs> I work there now. It's like That's the best. Sick. Yeah, it's a total dream. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every day when I go into Tiny and I'm and I you know make a cup of coffee and like work with a band in the studio, it's like it's the best. And that's it's cool to you know have had that experience on the artist side and then now yeah, to yeah. to have yeah. that as an engineer and a producer and now it's like I'm on I'm on the other side of that and it's so it's so rewarding and so much fun. Yeah. That's so cool. The cycle of musician <laughs> life, right? The cycle of life. Yep. You know, to have all to see it from all vantage points, I think does make you a better collaborator and artist no oh, matter what. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that like when you start out in studios, you realize how vulnerable you feel as a musician in a studio. Like it's it's really, really delicate. And I think that that MQ and and I probably had the same experience where if studios are not like really hip to that, how delicate it is to be on the other side of the glass, it can feel very harsh, you know, and very uninspiring. You know, mm -hmm. so I do think that like we at the studio, I think that the default is like a very loving, kind, goofy, open, like, yeah, let's try that. Let's just see what happens. Like, who knows? And no one knows <laughs> anyways, you know, and it's that that kind of sense of discovery and like that, like it is honestly a gift to be in a studio in that because there's, you know, there's a dark cloud over a lot of like recording studios. I don't know why there's like, you know, it's like we sense that when we play shows sometimes there can be like you know unfortunately it's mostly men like a male sound person that just it's just like whoa did i say something wrong to this person like like this yeah. is dark energy man like, <laughs> yeah that can kind of happen in studios too and i yes. think it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a cycle that's probably been repeating itself for 50 years of like mm -hmm. a guy that's kind of like bummed out you know that have, about things that have nothing to do with the environment and that there's some people that are going to pay. And that has created a, a really tough relationship between musicians and bands and live performance and recording studios. You yeah, know. that's interesting. I'm like a real fan of grumpy people. I don't know why. I just have always really yeah. like, and I think it's because I grew up in studios and, and yeah. um, performing. And always the sound guy, like you said, or the engineer at a studio, inevitably just so grumpy. Yeah. So I just enjoyed trying to win them over somehow. You know what I mean? I just like, oh, good. It's a project. I can work on this as we go. <laughs> Try to make light of how intense. It's like nothing should be this serious. I know yeah. it's a very expensive mic. I know that it's like, it's yeah. not like I'm throwing a baseball bat at it. Just yeah. calm down, you know, yeah. but it's, it's interesting. I'm so happy there are, I'm noticing a lot more women getting into live sound, certainly at the venues I've been going to. And oh, yeah. um, also, you know, in the studio and that, that, that bringing in the feminine more is so important, even, you know, even for men, just to bring the feminine energy into those spaces that have been dominated by that sort of real masculine, like only dudes can do it vibe. And it's like, right. it's not, it's not helpful to, the, you know, music is a very feminine thing, I think. Creativity is this like open hearted maternal thing. And yeah. so to make it be so square in a way and linear or certainly in regard to recording studios the fancy ones that i've been to and venues that it's like by the book you know everything is like cha, cha, cha. yeah and just so uncaring 
as if like these bands that are rolling in with very little sleep from the last, you know, like they didn't do anything wrong and then they get more shit at the next place they land because they got there early and the guy's not there and they call and it's like, I told you five, you know, like that's the guy you're just like. Been there. We've been there. We've all been there. It's not fair. But Um, it's changing because I think the whole world is changing, thankfully. Mm-hmm. We're all maybe growing up, maybe consciousness is shifting. It yeah. is my aspirations why I talk to artists like you. You both are incredible at what you do, but is to continue to be inspired and reminded of the sacred in art and how we're all in that really for that. We're uncovering our best qualities. We're here for a reason and we're here to discover that reason. And, you know, the more people I talk to that are living that true to purpose and living for that reason, the more inspiring it is to me and the more it keeps me on that path. So I'm just so grateful to have had this opportunity to meet you both. And what a a joy, what a great way to spend my afternoon. Thanks guys. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for inviting me, JB. Of course, we had the best time with Rain. Thank you.
Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields.